So like I mentioned, we have been working this sermon or this speech that Stephen's been giving in front of the Sanhedrin, talking to these group of men who have brought him here on trial because of accusations made against him. And if you remember last week, we talked some, or actually Stephen was talking about Abram or Abraham. And talking about, if you remember that, I think Stephen was getting at the surprising way that God was working. That he called Abram out of the land of Ur, which, if you remember, is basically modern-day Iraq. Not Israel. Not the temple. These surprising places where God is at work. And he made this audacious call on Abram's life. I mean, at the time, Abram was 75 years old. And he said, set everything down. Leave your home and everything that's familiar to you and come to this new land. And I will make, you, I'll make your offspring more, more num- numerous than the stars of the sky. This amazing promise to Abram at 75, having to leave his home, having no children, yet receiving this promise. But then we hear at the very end that, that Stephen wraps it up and he talks about that, they became, that Abram became the father of Israel or father of, of the nation. That through him, many, many of his offspring grew and to, become, and to hold this land of Israel. So God was faithful, not only in the promises that he made, but also in providing for them. Well, today, Joseph continues on in his speech, or his his address to the Sanhedrin. And he begins talking about Joseph. It's interesting, he skips over the life of Isaac and Jacob, important as they are, and even some of the patriarchs. He comes to the story of Joseph. I think because he's trying to build the framework for his argument to them, the point that he's about to make in in a few verses later. I think he's trying to work up this framework, to build this framework to challenge them, and challenge their set ideas of who God is and how God works, to undermine their idea that they had it all figured out. See, that's the thing with us, that sometimes we struggle with this, even still today. We get the wrong ideas about God. We have this idea that God looks like this, and he always works like this, and we start to put God into this box of what we think God should be like. Now, it's true, God is consistent. God is faithful, and, and he's not wild in, in the sense of, of uh, unpredictable or, or scary. But at the same time, even as I'm saying those words, there are times when God is wild. There are times when God does things that we didn't expect. When he uses people we thought that would never have been used by God. He continues to surprise us. And I think we see this in the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph was Rachel's son, his, her first son. Now Jacob, one of the, the first uh, fathers of Israel, actually his name was changed to Israel, he loved Rachel and he loved Joseph. He actually made Joseph a, a, a fine or an ornate robe for him to wear, which we don't think too much of. We think, oh, that's great, the father's blessing his son. The trouble is, Joseph was the second youngest he was number 11 of 12 sons. So he had 10 older brothers. And in those days, in the Middle East, older brothers had priority over younger brothers. There was a hierarchy to everything, even families. And so for Joseph to have this robe, if you read in Genesis, it talks about his brothers are angry at this. They were already jealous about it. Well, God gives Joseph these dreams. The first is when they're harvesting that that their sheaves of wheat began to bow down to his. And he told his brothers this dream. (laughs) And they were angry. They were really upset. Things didn't work like that. At least they didn't think. Well then, Joseph has another dream. And this time he he says that the dream that that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow down to him. 
And they tell his father. And Jacob says, are your mother and I and your brothers to bow down to you? That you're going to rule over us? And the brothers are furious at this point, but it says the scripture says this interesting thing. It says Jacob kept this in mind. So maybe he was angry, or maybe he's like, hmm, I wonder if God is up to something here. So these brothers have this dream, and they, they plot to kill Joseph. Imagine that. Imagine how angry brothers have to be to plot to kill their youngest brother. That's angry. That's upset. But the oldest, Reuben, he says, let's not kill the boy. Let's have mercy on him. Like, don't, don't kill him. And so they think of, well, we'll have mercy on him. We'll just throw him down a cistern or a well. <laughs> and then some travelers come by and uh, they take him out of the well only to sell him for 20 pieces of silver. They basically sell him into slavery. So Joseph is taken to, to Egypt. See, his, their, his brothers have the blinders on. And if you remember, if you've seen blinders, if you've seen maybe old pictures or even recent pictures of horses with blinders on, they're these black pieces of leather that, that, that shade their eyes. So all they can see is what's right in front of them. They can't see what's happening on the sides. Now, if a horse is carrying a carriage, this is a good thing. You don't want them to be distracted or afraid. But sometimes this is where our phrase comes. You have blinders on. You get so focused on one thing that you fail to see the bigger picture and what God is doing. Well, these brothers get so focused on their anger and on the ways that Joseph, uh, their jealousy for him, that they fail to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. They fail to see that God is at work here, that these dreams aren't, these aren't just Joseph's crazy ideas about power and glory. These are dreams that have been given to him by God. See, as I read Scripture... The more that I read scriptures, the more I am convinced that God uses surprising people in surprising ways. I mean, Joseph, he is one of the youngest sons of Jacob. We would, most times you would think it would be the oldest son, Reuben, who would be the one who would be the, the great leader. But God chooses the youngest. Same with David. David was the, a king, this great king, this man after God's own heart, but he was one of Jesse's youngest sons. And yet, when he was just a boy, he was the one who slew the giant, Goliath. God works in surprising ways. I think, too, about Peter, this roughneck fisherman. This guy who denied Jesus when it really mattered, he denied him three times. And yet, Peter is the man that, that God used to build his church. It was at Pentecost that, that Peter preached and thousands of people began to believe into Christ. I think about Saul. We know him as, as, as Paul, one of the, probably the, the, the main writer of the New Testament. And we hear about Saul. And we begin to think about it. And we remember that he used to persecute Christians, to kill them, because he hated them. And yet, Jesus came and spoke to him, met him on the road to Damascus, and changed his heart, changed his name to Paul and became one of Scripture's greatest uh, missionaries, starting churches throughout the Mediterranean, and the writer of much of what we have for the New Testament. So God works in these surprising people, in, in places that you wouldn't expect, using people that you wouldn't expect, yet God is continuing to work through them. It reminds us of how surprising God is. The amazing things that he does when we least expect it, doing things in ways that, you know, I hadn't, God, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have done it that way. 
which is probably a good thing that it's not up to us then. But God uses surprising things. But here's the good news. The great thing is, is that God will not be deterred. That his plans will be accomplished. No matter what happens, no matter the twists or the turns, God will do what he intended to do. And God intends to do good things. You see, God had this plan for Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. That's true. But God was with him. I don't remember if you remember hearing that in Acts, but it says it throughout Genesis too. It kept saying, and God was with him. So God was with him when he became a slave in the land of Egypt. His master, Potiphar, was the captain of the guard, a pretty high-ranking official in Egypt. And Joseph was his slave. But it said that God gave him wisdom and discernment, enabled him to be good at whatever he put his hand to. And it was in no time that Joseph became the manager of Potiphar's house. This wealthy, this, this important captain of the guard, Joseph was the manager of his whole house. Potiphar talks about the only decision he had to make was what he wanted to eat. That's how much Joseph took care of things. But the trouble is, and this seems to keep happening to Joseph, is that his life took another turn when Potiphar's wife saw Joseph and how handsome he was, and she wanted to sleep with him. And yet Joseph refused and refused and refused. Until one day he came into the, into the house, and she again, she grabbed him. He was wearing a robe, and he did this judo move where he slipped out of his robe, and she kept it, and she told her husband that he tried to take advantage of her. And again, Joseph ended up in prison. Or not again, but he ended up in prison. Again, at the bottom of things. It seems like, God, how, how are you going to fix this? He's in prison. And yet it's in prison. It's in prison that, that, that Joseph becomes the, the manager of the whole prison. The warden sees how good he is at things. And it says again that God is with him. And the warden puts him in charge of the whole prison. And it's interesting. You think, God, how are you going to redeem this? Okay, so he's... In charge of the prison, great for him. That's not much of a life, being a prisoner in charge of a prison. And while, it's, while he's in prison, that his inmates, fellow inmates, have these dreams. And one of them was the cupbearer to the Pharaoh. The man who provided the cup to Pharaoh. Like, that's close to the Pharaoh. A trusted servant. He had this dream, and, G and Joseph interpreted it for him, saying that you will be restored. So he was, and the cupbearer was restored, but he forgot about Joseph. And it wasn't until years later that, 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 that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had dreams. He had a dream about cows coming out of the Nile. First seven were healthy and fat, and then seven more were lean, and they were, they were diseased. And they ate the first seven. Then he had another dream that he had a, a seven heads of wheat. They were healthy. And, and nourished and then seven more heads of wheat came but they were dry and scorched by the east wind they ate the first seven and he didn't know how to interpret this dream and his cupbearer said I know this man in prison <laughs> now you see the connections how God was at work I know this man who is in prison who can interpret dreams this Hebrew and they bring Joseph to Pharaoh and he interprets the dreams he says that you've had seven years of abundance Seven years, things are going to go amazing. And then seven years of famine. Where the whole land, not just Egypt, but the whole land around us will have famine and be starving. The Pharaoh was amazed at this. And he said, where can we find someone to help us prepare for this? And everyone pointed at Joseph. And Joseph became second to Pharaoh. 
became his right-hand man, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, going from slave to prisoner to the mo- one of the most important men in Egypt. You see how God has been redeeming this, been working in his story. Through each turn, it seems like, how's God going to fix this? Yet God still does. Still works for the benefit of Joseph. Well, this famine comes. Egypt has stored up food and has extra to share. So people from other lands are coming to Egypt looking for food. And some of the people who come, the sons of Jacob, Joseph's ten brothers, who sold him into slavery, who wanted to kill him, they come looking for food. Now Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph because they think Joseph Joseph is gone, probably dead. And they come once and he provides food for them and sends them home, even with the money that they came to pay. Even that he gives gives back to them. But he keeps their brother, Simeon. And, and Jacob, when he hears of this, he, he says to these, these other brothers, you guys, you're, you're killing my sons. You guys, it seems like every turn you make, you're losing one of you. But eventually he has to come back because they run out of food. And they have to bring Benjamin, Joseph's brother, from his, his second son of Rachel. And, and Jacob is, is, is terrified of this. And he tells his, he tells his sons, don't lose Benjamin. I don't want to lose him. If you lose him, I will die. So the brothers, they, Judah says, Dad, you can trust him to me. I'll take care of him. I, I devote my life to it. So they bring all the brothers, come back to Egypt, and, and, and it's a long story, but basically Joseph reveals himself to them. After all their fear about upsetting this man who was giving them food, finally Joseph says to them, I'm your brother. I'm your brother Joseph. Now the thing is, we look at this story and from the outside or from a from certain limited perspective, you see, man, Joseph, everything's gone wrong for you. We hear about the brothers and how, boy, you guys really messed up and see, now you're finally getting it. Now you're getting what you deserved. But as you see the whole story, it's not until the end where you start to realize when Joseph is telling them that God has done this. You thought that you were just acting, doing things, but actually God was involved in this. God has been redeeming my life taking me from slave to prisoner to the second most powerful man in Egypt. But not only that, God has sent me before you. He sent me in front of you to prepare for this so that when this famine came, it would not kill your family or kill our family. But also you see God at work in this because these brothers, these 12 brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the heads, they are the part of the fountain out of which the 12 tribes flow. So God, in a way, or not in a way, God has been specifically caring for his people, providing for a remnant that his people would not be killed by this famine, but that they would live. You see, through these twists and turns, these surprising events, you think, God, what's happening here? This is horrible. Maybe some of you can relate to this. You see events in your life. Even maybe you're in them right now, and you think, God, how are you going to make sense of this? God, how are you going to bring good out of this? I want to encourage you as you hear the story of Joseph that God's design, God's plan will not, be, will not be deterred. It will not be thwarted. God's plans will be accomplished. God's desire for your life will be accomplished. Now it's true, sometimes he leads us through the desert. When the people came out of Egypt later, 
God, he could have taken them a few days and gone into the land. But instead, he traveled in the desert with them for 40 years, providing them quail and manna, going ahead of them by night as a pillar of fire and by day as a pillar of smoke, leading them through difficult times, through difficult situations where they had to rely on God. Sometimes this happens in our life. We find ourselves in difficult things. Trust that God is with you in these times, that he is leading you through these It's when we look at Genesis. Let me read it again to you. So the brothers are afraid of Joseph because their father has died. He's afraid that Joseph now will pay them back for everything they've done. His brothers came to them and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them, and he spoke kindly to them. God has been using surprising ways and surprising people to accomplish his goal, to accomplish his plan, and to provide and to save many lives. This is a powerful message to us, a powerful message to each of us to remain open to the surprising ways that God is at work. Do you see the ways that Stephen is bringing this together in front of the Sanhedrin? You see, these guys thought they had it all figured out. In fact, everyone thought that they had it all figured out. This is the high priest, the most officially religious guy of the land. And yet, Stephen is telling this story to begin to undermine them, to help them see that sometimes we don't have it figured out. And it's when we really think we do that we run real risk. You see, you begin to see some of the, the... the parallels, some of the connections between Joseph and Jesus. The ways that he was betrayed. The ways that Joseph was betrayed, similar to the way that Jesus was betrayed. Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus sold for 30 by Judas. People didn't see who they were. They didn't trust how God was at work for them. They didn't understand it. And so they missed it. They missed what God was at work, what he was doing. And these are people who should know you know, in the story of Joseph, these are the, are the brothers, these are the, the fathers of Israel. The people from whom Israel had its 12 tribes. These are guys that we think should know when God is at work, and yet they still, they sold jo- Joseph into slavery, and they missed it. Same way with this Sanhedrin. Jesus came and said, I am the Messiah. Actually, he never said that, but he was the Messiah. He came saying that I am the Son of God, or the Son of Man. They should have saw what Jesus did, that he was not just some prophet, just some troublemaker, that he was God's son, the Savior who had come to save them. And they missed it and they killed him. So this is challenging us first, I think, as a church. Because we are going through changes as a church, as churches always do, as things change, as people come and go, but also as we journey towards vitality as a church. That there will be changes that come. Changes in the ways that we are called to relate to each other, to be gracious with one another, to care for each other and carry each other's burdens, to grow closer to each other in community through small groups and through friendships. Changes are coming in relationships. But also changes are coming in the way that we vision. The fact that we will be envisioning as a church, as a family, listening together for the direction that God is calling us. These changes will become, and it will be important for us to remain open for the way God is at work. And changes are coming in the ways that we share this gospel with others. 
God continues to encourage us in new ways to go and to, to visit new homes, to go to neighbors maybe that we've never talked to before. Ask them how they're doing. Become their friend. Walk across the room and introduce ourselves. Ask them about their story. What do they do? What do they like? And become their friend. Genuinely become their friend so that we have the opportunity to encourage them. To encourage them in faith in Christ. Hopefully they would see that this life, the way that Christ's grace has changed us, and they would want that too. Changes are coming and we need to be open to those. We need to be willing to risk our comfort to risk even some of the things that are going really well for the sake of following God, following Him and the plans that He has for us as a church. I know that's scary. It's scary for me. There are things that are happening that I don't want to lose. But even more than that, I want to follow God. I want to follow God's plan for us here, this church and this community, in this valley here in the Kootenays and what He's called us to. I desire that even more than my own comfort. This is challenging for us as a church, but also I see challenges for us as people. No doubt some of you are already thinking how this is speaking to the situation you're facing in your life. You know, you think you've got things figured out, and maybe you begin to realize that God is doing something different here. God is doing something creative. And we need to be open to it. Maybe you're realizing, I've been looking at the situation with God in a box. I've had the blinders on. And maybe you're beginning to realize it. Maybe now in this moment, God is opening your eyes, taking the blinders off that you can see. You can see that he's been at work in this all along and that he has plans for you. It's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's great, but sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we get to the land that God has promised us through the desert through 40 years in the desert. Hopefully it won't be that long for us. But, but we sometimes we find the place that God is leading us to through difficulty, through struggle, and that grows us. God led the people through the desert, not to discourage them, but to make them holy, to make them reliant on Him. God does the same in our lives. As I listen to this text, I hear God encouraging us. I hear God encouraging you. I hear him saying that he's doing new things. God is doing surprising things, unexpected things. And we need to keep our minds open to this. We need to keep our heart open to receive it. Doing new things in our church, using unexpected people, people we never would have thought that he would use. Doing things in our community in unexpected places. Having worship in the park. Having carnivals outside in our, in our church parking lot. Inviting people and calling us into people's homes that we've never even been to. He continues to do unexpected things. And we need to remain open to it, listening for God's spirit and for his calling in this. But he also is doing new things in our lives. Many of you know what I'm talking about. But here's the good news. God desires good for us. I desire good for you, declares the Lord. To profit you and to not harm you. To give you a hope and a future. Sure, it might come through twists and turns, unexpected things, 
things that look a lot like failure, but God redeems them. I want to encourage you in this, and I hear God encouraging you in this. Remain open. Continue to listen for God's new ways. Amen.